Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Morning Coffee Podcast, the show where we get down and dirty with real talk about grief. I am your host, Brooke Carlock. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's get to the show. So today we are talking to the awesome Tony Lynch. Tony, um, I met, he, if you're in the grief world, Tony's kind of all over the place and he is, I will tell you, one of the biggest number one supporters of people who are working in the grief space. So he has just been kind of the greatest encouragement, keeping me going um, from the time that I started and, and one of my biggest supporters. And I can't thank him enough for that. He does awesome work with men and grief. So I'm going to let uh, him tell you all about what he does and what it is like working with men in the grief space. So let me get him on here and welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us. How you doing, Brooke? Thank you for having me on. I am. All right. Okay. So first we have to ask because it's morning coffee and even though it's 3 p.m. for you and 5 p.m. for me. <laughs> I've got my normal protein coffee with a little bit of extra pizzazz of uh, peppermint in here today. So what are you drinking? I am drinking coffee. I'm drinking some buttery caramel. Um, so I'm sipping on that. You know, it seems to be my go-to nowadays because I'm always on the go. <laughs> that sounds good. I know, right? It's it's like not even weird for me to be drinking coffee at 5 p.m. <laughs> right? Actually. No, it's not weird at all. I'm like, coffee? Yeah. yeah. Well, coffee? Let's go. <laughs> it's just kind of a thing at this point. All right. So I am so excited. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I feel like uh, if people have seen, I've been on your podcast and I am so excited to have you on here so that I can finally hear about your journey and how you got started in the grief space. And I know you have an incredible story as well. So why don't you just, can you take us back and kind of start with what your grief story is and kind of how it brought you to what you do today. Yeah. Well, that if now I would have to go back to the beginning from when I was, when I was younger. You can uh, go back as far as you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so honestly it started when I was six, right? Um, I was molested um, by my neighbor's son, which his mom was my mom's best friend. You know, we live right next door to each other. And uh, so I was thrown into a world of darkness. And after when it, after it happened, I vowed this. I, I told myself it's never going to happen again. And then from there, it was just a transition um, throughout my life. And um, got got involved in the gangs. Got really deep into the gangs. So over twenty years of doing that, losing friends left and right. Um, went to prison for five years for a crime I never committed in nineteen ninety four. And uh, got out in 1999, early 2000, I was shot. I was shot 22 times. So that's, that's his own set of grief that comes along with that. Yeah, um, I'll say. Throughout that time, I lost all of my grandparents um, back to back to back and was homeless. And then um, I, I would say in when I was around 30, 32 is when I had my son. And um, best time of my life, you know, uh, being a father. But that also came with his own set of challenges because his mother was a narcissist. And uh, so she, she decided that she was going to drag me, uh, drag me every which way and break me down, which, you know, I mean, I didn't understand it now, but I understand it. Um, I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now um, that she was the best mentor I ever had. 
Uh, and the reason why I say that, because as, as much crap as she's put me through, she taught me, she taught me a few things. She taught me what I didn't want out of life. Um, but also, you know, um, she gave me the opportunity to rebuild myself, to self, set boundaries with people. She taught me how to look out for red flags. And uh, she also told me that I was stronger than what I actually thought I was, right? Hmm. Um, in 2015, October 2015, October 31st, 2015, my son um, suffered a major overdose um, because his pharmacist decided to mix his medication very wrong. And so for Halloween and um, three days after that, I watched my son battle this overdose. And uh, they they came on the day before he woke up. They came that Sunday night and said he's not going to make it. So imagine, you know, what I'm saying having your world turned upside down and then having to face the fact of that. Hey, you know, what I'm saying there's a possibility I may lose my son. You know, um, so there was there was a lot going on there. And and fortunately, the next morning he woke up. So he pulled himself out of this overdose after mm-hmm. the doctors was just giving him everything. Um, he lived a normal life after that. Um, very, we took him off the medication. He was a very happy-go-lucky kid, you know. And nine months later, in June of 2016, he um, he got sick uh, on the 14th, and on the uh, 16th, he passed away mm. from unknown causes. And that began my journey, my true journey into the grief world. Because, yeah. you know, you, you go through stuff like that and, you know, you know, losing a child is is something that we don't expect um, and that it seems so real. It seems so out of place. Uh, and, and as a man, you know, not being taught how to effectively deal with my emotions, you know, always suppressing things like that. I realized that the way that I expressed myself was through a lot of anger, through a lot of isolation, through um I, I I didn't start I didn't start back drinking then, but you know my addiction was lifting weights. I was always determined to hurt myself more than what I was already hurting. Now, what really tipped me over the scales was two years later, um, July twenty fifth. Two years after that, my mother passed away, mm-hmm. and that took me over the edge. I was already in a secluded state, and. Um, when my mother passed away, I really, I really went off the edge. I started making really bad decisions um, with 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 women, with my life in general, which caused me to lose everything that I had yet again. You know, and I just started my personal training company, and things like that was doing really well. And um, in a matter of three months, I lost everything. I lost my home. I had, I had packed up from Colorado, moved to South Dakota didn't work out there, had to get rid of everything that I had and come back to Colorado with my tail in between my legs. Now I'm bouncing around on people's couches, you know, and things like that. And, you know, after a while, you have to understand I'm a grown man sleeping on sleeping on my friends' couches and they all have families. Eventually, their significant others like, hey, when is Tony leaving? Yeah. Right. Yep. That's, the, that's just the reality of it. Right? You know what I'm saying? When is Tony leaving? Not understanding that I have nowhere to go, but I get it. I'm in your home. And so therefore I cannot, I have no place to say anything. So I, I've just moved around and then eventually, um, 
it led me to just sleeping in my car from time to time. Um, and I was working. And so I would get a motel room from here to there, you know what I'm saying, to have a bed to sleep in. You know, it's survival. It's not nothing I've ever been through before. You know, it's, it's just shocking that, I'm, that I had to go through it again. And, um, and eventually, I, it, it led me to planning out my own suicide. And, um, and I did that very strategically for two and a half months. Wow. For two and a half months. Um, because what I did, and, and this sounds crazy when I said, you know, and I even had to tell my friends that I did it as well. But I started, I started paying attention to when they used to call me. And things like that. And they were very consistent on the days that they called me. So what I would do is that I would stop answering the call, answering their phone calls on those days that they would call me. And I would call them on different days. And then they got used to me calling them on those days, which eventually led to me having a weekend open. So, you know, consistently when I had two, two to three weekends open, that's when I made my decision that this is what I'm going to do it. Now I know there's mm-hmm to be nobody calling me i'm just gonna go ahead and um i'm gonna go ahead and do this and i convinced myself it was the best thing to do wow that no one no one cared you know and that's what i told me who would care i am just another i'm just another man out here on the streets you know i got no direction i got no purpose i got no reason to even be here who who would care if i did this right and i had it so so planned out um i had every detail planned out I said, well, you know, I'm going to go to work, pretend like nothing else is happening. You know, um, when I get off work, I'm going to take off and I'm going to Utah. And I had already paid for the hotel room for a couple of days. So I got there on Friday, um, stayed, in, stayed in the room. And the next day I went fishing and um, said my goodbyes for the most part. Told my family that had already been passed. Hey, I'll see you guys soon. Um, I'm, I'm done with this world and, you know, I'm done with everything that comes along with it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm having a hard time. And, uh, I told me, you know, the question was that I kept asking myself, who's going to care? Who's, who's going to care? Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm a nobody in this world, you know? Um, and when it came time for it, um, I was sitting there and in the middle, as a matter of fact, that night I went back to the hotel. The next morning I, I checked out, drove out to the middle of the Moab Desert. So I'm sitting out there, you know, and I waited till till night. We got to see the see the stars and everything. And I told myself, this is where I'm gonna do it. Now the whole thought process of it was I'm out here in the middle of the desert. I know there's mountain lions that run around here, some other animals that run around here. So once this is done, I know that the animals are gonna come because they can't resist a free meal, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to nature. They're going to turn me apart by the time anyone figures out where I'm at. The body's going to be gone. Wow. Everything's going to be gone, right? You know, so no funeral, no cremation, no we're having to worry about, you know, saying whether you're going to have to have the money to do this, that, and I'm doing all of this. I'm going to make sure that no one has to, has to worry about any of this stuff. And, um, and I tell you, um, in that moment, I was so emotionally disconnected from, like I didn't feel anything. I was so, I was just so empty that I was, I was just done, you know, dealing with the loss of 
not only one of my parents, but both of my parents, my younger brother, my son, you know, the only thought that I had was that there's nobody else after me. Yeah. I'm the last of my generation, the last of my bloodline. You know, I'm the oldest and the last. How did this happen? So I was like, well, if I got to be the last, I might as well be the last. And this is the way I'm going to do it. And um, two seconds before I was pulling the trigger and I sat there and I closed my eyes. I was like, just forgive me. And I had the gun and I was two seconds away from pulling the trigger. And I swear, just as clear as I'm talking to you, someone called my name in the middle of the desert. And so immediately my thought process was, who followed me out here? Mm -hmm. And then the second thought was, there's no way that I'm going to let someone, let this be the last image that someone has of me. So I, you know, I threw the gun in the, in the front part of my car and I jumped up and I'm looking and now I mind you, it's pitch black. Yeah. I saw a vehicle pull up or something like that. Right. But I didn't think about any of that. I just jumped up and started looking around and then I realized it was still just me out there. So I turned the lights on in my vehicle um, just to make sure. And sure enough, I was the only one out there. I was I was the only one out there, and I just remember just being in this empty empty place. Um, just I didn't I was just empty. I was numb. I didn't feel not one thing. And this voice just just kept talking to me. Hmm. And I remember it just saying, "Hey, um, before you do that, let me show you something." And I remember having a conversation with this voice as if I'm talking to you, right? You know, and it sounds crazy. But, you know, um, but I did. I, I had a conversation with this voice. I said, who are you? What do you want? And it never answered me, but it came back and said, now that I have you in a place to where you can hear me, I want I want to show you something. Now, in this time, I began playing a victim of my whole entire life. I wanted to, I, I there was no accountability on my side, right? Mm -hmm. and, when I left that, when I left Utah, I had a whole lot of accountability, you know, a whole lot of things that I had to learn. Um, but in that process, I was like, what about this, this, this? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, why? Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, simply put, the voice said, oh, you thought that it was about you? I said, well, I'm the one who had to go through it. I've been looking at times. I'm homeless now. What? You know what I'm saying? I am. You know, I'm 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 homeless. I've lost everybody. You know what I'm saying? My life has been one thing after another, and I cannot seem to get ahead. Like every time I try to get ahead, I'm getting knocked back down again. I am tired. I am and I just told the voice, I said, I am so tired right now. And it's not a physical tired, it's not a mental tired, it's a different sort of tired. I was just so tired. And I, and I was breaking down and then I sucked it up. And I was like, no, men don't supposed to cry. And the voice laughed at me and said, what do you, what do you mean men aren't supposed to cry? You're a human being. I said, no, men aren't supposed to cry. And the voice just said, you need to give yourself permission. And then from there, it start, started to unfold the cookies that was left in my life and on a journey of who I was in that moment and the different versions of myself. But it also took me back because for the longest time, my anger was rooted into that six-year-old boy. Yeah. 
that was hurt and thrown into a dark world that had vowed to never let anyone else ever hurt me again. That's where it was rooted. So it took me on a backwards journey to that point and said, you see that void right there? Now become the man, become the protector that you needed back then. And I began to go to that little kid and, you know, and I began to hold him and tell him that everything was going to be okay, that it's not okay to give up. You know, you're going to have some challenges and things like that, but I'm here now. And um, I began to, I began a process of healing that I never understood. Yeah. And um, when I left Utah, this, these, this, this, Thing was in my head and something else was growing in my heart that I never felt before. But it was it was as if something was pulling me in a different direction in, in my life. And I'm driving back and I'm, you know, saying, I, I got it floored. I'm going down. To, <laughs> I am floored. I am getting back to Colorado. And I just remember getting back and I called up my buddy. I said, I'm on my way over. He said, all right, you know, come on over. And I, I just remember walking around his garage and, uh, you know, this, this thing was 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 brewing and all of this information was coming. And, you know, it wasn't really making sense at the moment, but eventually it started making sense. And then after six months, um, you know, actually, yeah, after six months of me trying to find find support, you know, I was like, there has to be something out here for men. Has to be. And then, you know, going through these different uh, support groups and things like that, there was one thing that that was consistent across the board. There was never any men in there. Men were welcome, but there was never any men in there. But there was women and children. And I was, you know, and I asked one of one of the ladies in there, hey, where's the men at? They were like, oh, they don't show up. They the men don't talk. Things like that. And I was like, huh? Then it dawned on me. I could tell you why the men don't show up and I could tell you why it's having a hard time for um, them talking. It's because they're in a room full of women. Yep. And men aren't going to talk around women. Women, men will compete around women, right? Because, and that's, that adds to us carrying on the burden of our grief, that pain and things like that. That's, that causes us to suppress it more because when it's instinctively, when men are around women, we want to, we compete with the next man to show that we are a, um, a more suitable uh, mate, right? Instinctively. Yeah, that instinct, yeah. Yeah, it's instinctively, right? So it's, it, it, we suppress it because now we want to show that we are compassionate about what you're going through. So forget what I'm going through. It's I'm going to make it about you. And I said, right. okay, that makes sense now. Um, and that's when I had the idea. I said, you know what? I, I, I want to be around other men because I want to learn. I want to learn how they did it because I'm still struggling. And I know that if I don't get help the next time that I get to a point to where you know, this darkness ensues me, uh, engulfs me, I'm going to be successful. I'm not going to walk away from it. And so that came up with the idea of me starting a nonprofit. And uh, so I, I was doing research because I've never done anything like this before, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I began to do research and I began picking up the phones and, 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 and calling people, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? And everybody was just like, Oh yeah, well, doing a nonprofit, you pretty much have to build it and have it up and running um, without actually having a five hundred one three C. I was like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? <laughs> you know? I was like, so you you want me to have a business 
without actually having a business. Yep. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to figure this thing out. And then after that, I was more confused than when I first started. And then I was like, well, if that's what they say I have to do, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and then I started taking pieces of when I started my personal training company and applied it to what I was doing. And the first rule that came to it was, who knows you? If don't nobody know you, why not? Mm -hmm. So, and that came from a mentor of mine. And so what I did, I started going out there and, I, and I'm and i a strong introvert, right? You know, so I have a hard time being around people as it, as it is. But I, I began to go to um, um, these little seminars. I began to go to a lot of these meetings, um, business meetings and things like that, introducing myself and talking as if I already had this nonprofit up and running. And people were so in, you know, they were they were like, really, this, that, another. I was like, yeah. Now, mind you, I'm still green behind the ears, but I'm talking as if I've been doing it for years. Yeah, right? you know. And so I'm like, make it till you make it, right? Yeah, make it till you make it, right? Um, and then then I came up with a business plan. And then I came up with, you know, what I'm saying my story. And then I'm handing this big old pamphlet out to people uh, and things like that. And um, I, I remember. During that process of me learning, I ended up going to the church and they said, hey, you need to talk to such and such. Now, this is this is the part that that kind of discouraged me a little bit during this process, because I'm thinking I'm on a roll. Right. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to get the help that I need. I'm going to learn from this guy. I go up there. I put the pamphlet up there and I'm saying, hey, these guys told me to come talk to you because you're the guy who started the nonprofit. This man looked me in my face. And said, this pamphlet, I'm not about to read that. What? Yeah, that's what he told me flat out. He goes, I'm not about to read that. He goes, so, you know what I'm saying? What else can I do you for? I was like, well, I'm trying to learn how to start this nonprofit and everything like that. He goes, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I said, I looked at him. I said, you should not be in a church. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, why? I said, because I came up here for help to try to, because I'm trying to start this nonprofit and everything. And people telling me that you're the person to come talk to. And so far, what you've done is, is discouraged me from doing it, one. And then you've been rude to me twice. You should not be in a church. A church should be a place that people could come and get mm -hmm. help, not come and be belittled or talked down to or felt as if they're stupid. Right. So therefore, I'm going to let everybody know what you did. And hopefully you get fired. You you need to you need to not be in a church. Yeah, you got Your attitude right here, then you need to be somewhere else. But this is not the place for you. And I've been at this church long before you came. And then it kept me. Then I stopped going to church. And then I got on that road again, and I and I formed my nonprofit and I kept it out of certain institutions um, because I wanted everybody to feel welcome. And um, that's where Memories of Us was born. I finally got my 5013C during um, COVID and uh, started doing support groups. And, you know, of course, I had my challenges, of course, yeah. you know, because uh, I got all these certifications. I was like, oh, you know, this is part of, of the grief, you know, addiction. So I became a peer, peer, peer recovery so, um, um, cert certified facilitator. Then I thought to myself, like, you know, suicide. So I became a suicide um, preventionist. And mental health, first aider, mental health, first um, mental health practitioner. 
Um, and then uh, from there, I got my, my grief coaching certification and um, been running every since then. You know, I, I mean, yes, having challenges and things like that, but it's part of the process. And um, at the time when I hit challenges now, I just start laughing like, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> yeah, bring it on, man. Like, this is what we're doing. Um, but then from there, it was it was one step at a time. Um, and practicing discernment for the people that I was around and developing a sense of, a, a strong sense of compassion and empathy for the mm -hmm. people, but better understanding what their grief process looked like when it came down to men and going, okay, this makes sense to me. Right. And, you know, I just started reading the information that was inside of me. And then one day I woke up um, and it was like everything changed. And, you know, and that's why I developed the phrase from I'm under contract. I have two different contracts. I have the contract that I have with the higher power of God, whatever, whatever people want to call it. You know what I'm saying? Whatever people believe, I, I, I don't care. Do what works for you. Right. You know what I'm saying? My beliefs are mine. Um, I don't do religion, but I do believe in God. And I said, my first contract is with God because now I've I've identified the gift that's inside of me. And you know what I'm saying? Now my my contract with God is that I have to fulfill um that that contract by giving everything that was given to me and make sure that when I leave this place, I'm empty. It's all out in the open, right? It's all out there. And then the second contract is with the people that I encounter on a daily basis. My contract is, you know, what I'm saying I understand that, you know, why you're here with me because I attracted you here. So my job is to is to give this to you because I owe it to you. I can no longer walk or walk around as if I don't know what it is anymore. Right. So yeah. I'm obligated to give it to you. Wow. I don't even know where to start. My mind is blown right now. So, okay. One, thank you for sharing all of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I knew about your losses, but I didn't know about the stuff that came before that. So that is even more incredible to me. All the things that you shared even before the loss of your son and your parents. The other thing that struck me was that, isn't it crazy how when you are so deep in your grief and deep in that sense of loss and worthlessness that you can't see how much other people care about you? Because what stuck out to me is you, I mean, you had to plan so hard to figure out when people wouldn't call you because you had people checking in on you and calling you. <laughs> But then you kept saying, like, no one's going to care. No one's going to care if I die. I mean, and, you know, from the outside looking in, obviously you had people who were caring about you. And I'm sure once you step back and you look at it now, you're like, man, all those people did care, you know. Yeah. Obviously people would be upset. But when you're in it, I remember feeling the same way, like, before I, because I did, you know, had a, it wasn't as drawn out as yours, mine was more of like a, you know, I was feeling so helpless. And then I had this moment where, you know, I almost stepped out into traffic and, and then I went to a mental hospital and enrolled myself in like an intensive day program. But then, yeah, once you step back from it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing how you don't 
see it when you're in it. You can't right. see everything that's available to you and that's out there and all the people that love you when you're so deep. So I'm so glad that you are still here to be helping people like you are. And you. the story about the the person that you went to at your church just struck me because like I said in my intro, you are one of the biggest supporters that I've ever met of people who are trying to help others. And I'm wondering if some of that stems from having that person who didn't help you. You're like the exact opposite of that. You were the most encouraging and supportive person willing to help everyone. And yeah. And, and so I, I appreciate that about you. And I'm sorry that you had that negative experience when, when you were starting out. But again, I, I feel like your, your losses and your challenges have become the gains of everyone around you. So I think that's what we're supposed to do, right? You know, yeah, we, yeah. we go through this life, we struggle, especially those in this field and things like that. We struggle so others don't have to, right? Um, because I honestly, I don't want no one to have to ever feel what I felt or struggle the way that I did um, as I was becoming the, the man that is sitting here. And this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the beginning, right? You know, because right. I'm still growing. I'm still, I'm still expanding now. I'm, I'm, I'm a curious kid in this world. You know, grief has been my biggest mentor in this life. Um, and the best teacher I ever had, because what it did, it taught me how to be patient, mm -hmm. but also it taught me to pay attention to what other people were doing. Um, if they were treating other people wrong, I knew I didn't want to be like that. Right. Because that's not the way that we're supposed to do it. If we're, we, and, and we have to be around people who speak life into us. And mm -hmm. what I find that when, when I run across people who are going through a rough morning, maybe a rough day something like that right i like to intervene i like to step in their path right because that stuff is that stuff is contagious yeah you know what i'm saying it's easy to pass that along to people so i love to step in their path hey how you doing today you know and it's something that gets them to stop to interact with me and they can do it all they want yeah give it to me give it to me because when i get done and you've poured all of that into me I'm going to give you something that mm -hmm. you need. So I want what you got coming to stop with me because you, I don't, I don't want you to have to feel that you have to carry that and give that to everyone else. That's how unnecessary things happen, arguments and fights and things like that because of the transition, how everything is transmitted. That stuff is toxic. So yeah. let it stop with me because I, I want, when you leave from me, I want you to remember the way I made you feel right. You know what I'm saying? And I want you to go and enjoy your day. But I often remind people as well that in your day, you will have challenging moments. There's no such thing as a bad day. There are your moments is chunked up into moments. That's your day. Is And so you may have a bad moment or a challenging moment. And if you have the time to sit in that moment and extract the lessons from it, and be able to leave that moment where it is while you step into the next one, you'll find that the challenge that you've just gone through is beneficial for the next person that, that walks into your life. And so you give it to them freely, without expectations. 
You make them feel good. You speak life into them. You uplift them. You connect with them. You be the, the version, the, the best um, human version that you could possibly be. That way, when they leave you, you know that you've done your part, at least just for me, right? Yeah. You know, and and so I'd rather be I'd rather be the guy um to speak life into you, to speak love over top of you, to speak encouragement. And if I can if I can use the things that I've gone through to help inspire other people, I have a platform to help bring people up to to showcase them. You know, um, I'm going to do that because the one thing, and I keep saying this before, uh, and I and I'll continue saying this. It's, it's not about me, right? It's a, it's about the people um, that we are around. I'm a servant of my of the people. And I always want people to be reminded of that. Like the things I've learned and things like that, I'll give it. Yeah. I don't want anything in return. I will give it to you because it's worth it for me to give you something that's going to help you heal because I see the benefits of it. Yeah. What a great perspective. I love that. So you had talked about like challenges and people having challenges in their day. Are there specific challenges or can you talk to us about specific challenges that men might face when they're grieving that you've come upon since that's kind of what you specialize in? How is yeah. it different, I guess, for men? Well, there's a huge misconception. Right. From yeah. what you see with when you see men um going through something, what's the first thing that, that comes to mind? The most obvious thing, anger. Anger, right? Mm -hmm. So we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tap on this for a little bit and bring a different perspective to it. When when we when we are young, young boys, um, we're taught to man up, we're taught not to cry and things like that. So the first thing our first go-to is to be angry. So now Let's 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 look at this from a different perspective. Have you ever seen, you know what I'm saying, a, a man in your life cry? I know you have, right? But before mm -hmm. then, you know what I'm saying, you can ask the average female, they'll tell you, no, he's always angry. And right. I go, and you know, so, so let's put two and two together. You are watching him cry. You're you're watching that man cry. He's just doing it in a way to keep a hold of his masculinity because the last thing that he wants to do is to give you a different perception of what your perception of him is. So to, in order to hold on to that without being judged or called uh, weak or something like that, he's going to express himself in anger because that's what you expect. Hmm. So that's the way he cries. Secondly, addiction. That's another way that men cry. Because since we don't have an outlet and, and you know what I'm saying to express our emotions, it's a way for us to get outside of the world that we live in, the traumatic things that we live in, and go into a different reality to where it doesn't jeopardize who I am. Hmm. Homelessness, when a man gives up because life has beat him down so much. He would rather his pride during the time of him hurting and grieving, he would rather go homeless than to ask anyone else for help because that means that he has to be vulnerable. He has to set aside everything that he's ever been taught, which goes against the nature, that his very nature. Hmm. And he would rather go out there and be homeless and fight his way back 
because that is what we're used to. We are used to fighting. This is how we survive in this world. Hey, we have to fight for everything that we life. Life is life is challenging. Yeah. And so when it comes down to it, I would rather fight my way back from the bottom than to ask someone else for help. Because I don't want you to use me asking you for help against me. I don't want to feel as if I owe you anything, even at the time where I need it the most. These are these are the misconceptions when it comes down to men, which is yeah. always what's going on. So how do how do the men that you work with how do they react when they when they hear that? I mean, does it take more to kind of get get it through their heads that that's what they're doing, I, or are they more resistant to to listening to what you have to say? I guess is what I'm wondering. Well, Look at it. Look at it this way, right? There's there's two things that I that I eliminate um, when we when we when we're in the groups. There's two things that you know what I'm saying two things that are that are very obvious. One, you're in a group full of men that have experienced the same things, and guess what? Y'all are y'all in the same room. Secondly, no one in this room can judge you. So with that part taken out the way, and this is the this is how men think, right? You know what I'm saying? Once that is taken out the way, we have we can clear out all the all the crap. And the reality of it is, is that we understand. Yeah. We we there's the understanding right there. So it's it's not like it's is is talking to them and bringing that reality to them. We do this instinctively. So it's not like it's not like um, we don't know what we're doing. We we do it to protect ourselves. And so when you're in a room with men who have experienced the same things, going through the same losses and 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 things like that, it opens up the doors for you to have a genuine conversation with the brother next to you. Yeah. You, um, you know what I'm saying? It opens up the doors for you to connect with the with the brother. You know what I'm saying? And I and I call them all brothers because black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter what color you are. We're all brothers in this in this room. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what stayed in what's said in here stays in here. You know what I'm saying? But we build a brotherhood from that through those traumatic experiences. Yeah. And we tend to open up the doors for each other to be a little bit more vulnerable because now we realize that no matter what I say, you're not going to take it and use it against me. Because if you do, I can also take what you said to me and use it against you. There comes a mutual respect. I can yeah. respect that. So it makes it a lot easier for us to communicate. Now, the, the, the thing is, is that when it comes down to our female counterparts, teach, teaching them to understand how to read the men in their life and, you know, um, to be able to support them in their grief journey as well, because there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of misconceptions that we got to get out the way, but having the conversation, um, understanding what you're seeing and, and being patient with us. Cause you got to remember, this is unfamiliar territory. This is an emotional aspect, something that most men are not used to. Right. You know what I'm saying? So to keep us, re keep us from reverting back to the anger stage, of it to where this is the way we have to express ourselves, it's important to be patient with us while we while we figure out if we can trust you. 
Because it all boils down to trust. Yeah, and creating, I can see the importance of creating that that safe space. What if, so let's say for any, you know, women who are watching this video or even any men who have, you know, a friend or know a man who's who's going through grief and is displaying that anger and not the emotion, seems to be kind of shutting down the emotion or stuffing that down. What would you recommend? Is there anything that someone can do to help those men in their lives that maybe are resistant to dealing with their grief? Yeah. Um, depending on the relationship that you have with that man, here's something that's very, very universal. Always make sure that they understand that you see them. Right. You know, it's not validating their actions, but understanding what you're seeing and go, I'm here. I, I see what's going on with you. And I not really saying the words, but you know what I'm saying? A hug goes a long ways, you know? Um, and just looking at them and saying, hey, I'm here when you're ready to talk. Instead of forcing them into a, a corner, because you force us into corners, we come out fighting, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we shut down. You'll never get that out of us, you know? But understanding that patience is key to is key to it, right? You know? Understanding that you can look at me and say, hey, I see you, man. I, I see you, bro. I see you, unk. I see you, you know what I'm saying, my 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 friend. I see you, my 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 partner. Yeah. And then since I see you, I want you to let you, I want to let you know I'm never intrude on you, but I'm here. And I understand what you're going through. But then now, if it's obvious, you go, I'm hurting. You can always say, I'm hurting too. Really, really simple things like that. Men are very simplistic up here. We're not over, we're not complicated. We're mm -hmm. not complicated at all. We're very simple individuals. But most people are simple individuals. It's the person that you're with that overcomplicates you. Hmm. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep it real simple. Yeah. All right. That's great. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who is maybe just starting out on their grief journey, what do you think you would tell that person? Learn to forgive yourself. Love that. In the process of your healing or the process mm -hmm. of your grieving, because grief is very revealing. Um, so just learn to forgive yourself for what you don't know and be open to the fact of that you have a lot to learn and there's no right or wrong way to do it but you do have to do it yes you do yeah that's great oh yeah learning is so important too i, I always tell people that's kind of the number one thing that helped me was just learning everything i could yeah about grief and yeah so we have a comment here from Patty, who says, amen, both my husband and my brother-in-law, we both lost our sons, exactly what both have said. Yeah. Thank you, Patty. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, if people would like to get a hold of you, Tony, how would they do that? Where can they find you? Yes, they can. They can find me on Facebook, uh, Tony Lynch, or Memories of Us Ltd. 
Uh, or if you're a grief worker, you're looking for a place um, to be supported, but also a place where you can collaborate with other grief workers, mental health practitioners, the Global Grief Network. And um, they can find me on YouTube, my podcast as well, you know, the, the Grief Let's Talk About It podcast, where you, you've been a guest on, an amazing guest. Uh, and so we do one-on-one interviews, we do panel discussions, and in January, we have a series come up, which Brooke will be a part of that as well. So you guys look forward to that. <laughs> keep your eyes open for that. Um, also, they can find me on Instagram at Men's Grief Support. They can find me on um, LinkedIn as Tony Lynch. I post up a lot of things that I'm going to be doing over there as well. And um, you know, if you're in the uh, Fort Collins area, I will be starting um, my my men's group after after Christmas. And then uh, we have the Deaf Cafe coming up as well. You are always keeping busy, my friend. <laughs> well, we, well, there's a lot of work to do in this in this there world. There is a lot. You know there is. Yeah. And I just want to do my part. Honestly, you know, I just want to do my part. I want to make sure that I'm exploring every avenue to make sure people get the resources um, to help in their healing across the board. So information, resources, um, events, whatever, whatever that needs to happen, I'm I'm just crazy enough to do those things, though. <laughs> I'm not afraid to do it, Cheers. right? Cheers to that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not afraid to do it. I'm like, if this, I look at the neighborhood, I'm like, oh, wow, this hasn't been done before. I'm going to do it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I think outside the box. I look at what's being done, look at what's not being done, and I focus on what's not being done because it adds an extra element to what's already yeah. been done. You know, and I'm not doing it to compete with anyone. So when people come up to me like, hey, man, I'm like, no, no, use it. Take what I'm doing and use it, please. You know, I, I work with you. Yeah, let's do it. Right. Yeah. You know, and then once they get it, I go on about my way. It's not about me. I have no problems with doing that. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything you have coming up that you wanted to share? Um. 2024, April, the last last part of April of 2024, keep your eyes open. We do have our third annual Global Grief Network that's coming on, uh, coming up. So it's going to be a three-day annual virtual event again. Um, great. We're going to have grief practitioners, mental health practitioners from across the world coming and showcasing their tools um, and their, their specific niche. As, as always, if you guys have seen it, you guys already know what to expect. We're just mm -hmm. going to keep getting better and better across the board. Um, let's see the series that's coming up in January where Brooke is going to be a part of, you know, our first, our first installment of that series is going to be talking to couples about loss of a child. So, you know, we're going to be exploring those aspects of it and it's going to keep getting better and better. So other than that, that's all I got coming up right now. Oh. All right. Well, it's, <laughs> it's still a lot. Yeah. You got a lot going on. Oh, well, thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate you taking the time to to speak with my audience and being on morning coffee. And I look forward to working with you again shortly. Yes, yes. yes. Well, we'll see each other soon. So thank you. Thank you, Brooke, for having me on. It's been such a great interview. Um, love talking, talking with you. And uh, so, yeah, I look forward to many, many more. Good. Patty, again, just to read her comment, says, thank you. Men grieve so differently when their child passes. It's good to stay busy. Bless you. Yes, <laughs> thank, thank you, you, Patty. Thank you, Patty. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your evening and I will see you again soon. Awesome. Awesome. You as well. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.
We all know that grief can leave us feeling alone, unmotivated, and even hopeless. That's why I'm so proud to have partnered with HelpText to provide a full year of ongoing expert support to my subscribers. HelpText has individualized support for caregivers, people dealing with a difficult diagnosis, or grieving the loss of a loved one, pregnancy, or even a pet. You answer questions at sign up to get specific support just for you, including two texts per week and even extra texts on special or difficult days like birthdays or anniversaries. And the best part is if you sign up using the site linked in my description, you'll get a 10% discount off of your subscription. Thank you so much to Help Text for offering this deal to my subscribers. When life gets hard, getting support from Help Text is easy.